Good morning, and thank you for joining with us here at Springfield Church of the Brethren for our worship service for April the 19th. Well, okay, not exactly at Springfield Church of the Brethren this week. I am recording my parts from home today. We decided we needed to stay at home for the week, but we're doing fine. Thank you to all of those who've reached out. We really are. We're doing just fine. A big extra thank you to Becky and Christopher. I know I thank them every week. This week they had to pick up the slack of me not being there, though. Maybe that made their lives easier. Big thanks to you two for all the work you have done. We wouldn't be able to get this out every week if, without you. Thank you also to Bev and Janice, who continue to come in and provide music every week. I have written down here that Janice is going to be singing I Can See on the Emmaus Road by Gaither and Nice, and that Bev will be playing Because He Lives by William Gaither. Bev will also be playing number five from the hymnal, There Is a Place of Quiet Rest. Seemed like a good classic to stick in today. Just a reminder, Tuesday nights, we have our Bible study still on Zoom. It's been wonderful, all those people who are joining us every week, and it feels like it's getting a little bigger every week, which is, frankly, just awesome. So thank you so much to all of you who continue to be a part of that. If you want to join, which don't feel like you can't join this week, even if you haven't read all of Esther yet, that's fine. We'd love to just have you there. And it's a great time to see one another through Zoom. If you want to join us, check out your emails. And if you don't have an email from me with the information on how to join, give us a call or an email or anything like that. Just check us out at springfield-cob.com. That's our website. It has all the contact info on it. Becky has been working hard to keep that up to date as well. So thank you, Becky. I know we've put in a lot of extra work on you as well. Lastly, thank you to everyone who's continued to support the church financially. Your generosity means that we can continue to put worship out every week, to do Bible studies, do the hundreds of little things that this church does, albeit it's a little different right now, but you're keeping us going. Thank you so much. If you are willing and able to give, feel free to email it here to the church. We are in every week, and Renee is actually stopping in on Saturdays just to make sure that the mail is picked up. Don't worry, it won't sit in the mailbox. Again, thank you everyone for all of your support. If you'll join in worship with me then, as we listen to our opening music, followed by a prayer. Welcome.
sacred one, we strive to see you in our lives. We know that you are there, but somehow we keep missing you. We are like your two followers on the road, missing the fact that you walk beside us, teaching us, comforting us. Open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to you and your call. Holy One, Holy Three, we ask for us to be especially open in these days to your continued presence. We are struggling in this time of sorrow and separation. Watch over those who continue to serve us, putting their own lives at risk. We pray for their families. They are safe. We ask for strength for those who continue to work and keep us moving forward in these strange days, that they can rely on us and you to hold them up, to keep back exhaustion. We pray for those missing the presence of others in these days when there is physical distance between all of us for some, that may mean they hardly see anyone else, and that must be difficult. We also pray for those who have lost friends and family. We cannot mourn as we like, nor can we give comfort. Give us strength and ingenuity to hold up one another, to comfort those in pain. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who rose from the grave and blazed a new path to the kingdom of heaven for us. Amen. Today's reading is from Luke 24, 13 through 35. I'll be reading Eugene Peterson's transliteration, The Message. Let's hear what he told us, what happened on the afternoon of Easter. That same day, two of them were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all the things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them. They were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, What's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name Cleopas, said, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened in the last few days? He said, What has happened? They said, the things that have happened to Jesus, the Nazarene, he was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and in word, blessed by God and all the people. Our high priest and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death and crucified. And we all had our hopes that he was the one, the one who was about to deliver Israel. It is now the third day since it happened. 
But now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they, they went to the tomb and they couldn't find his body. They came back with a story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to see the tomb, but they just found it empty, just as the women said. They didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, So thick-headed, slow-hearted, why can't you believe all the prophets had said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer, and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the book of Moses, and then went through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. They came to the village where they were headed. He acted as if he was going on, but they pressed him. Stay, have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So he went in with them. And here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him, and he disappeared. Back and forth they talk. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us? They didn't waste a minute. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their friends gathered there, talking away. It's happened. It really happened. The master was raised up. We saw him. The two went over everything that happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. Blessed are we that the word and Jesus are revealed to us. Amen.
denial, anger, depression, bargaining, acceptance. Yeah, you've probably heard of these five things before. They're part of what's known as the Kubler-Ross grief cycle. It's popular in movies, TV shows, even in books. Characters encounter something, something tragic happens to them. And then they work through these, these five stages to reach acceptance, to find a new normalcy. Now, if, if the writer is trying to dig a little deeper, they'll actually kind of jump around and move between these, these five items. Because grief isn't clean. There, there isn't some line that we automatically follow from one end to the other end. It's messy. We, we jump around. We sometimes go forward. Sometimes we go backwards. Sometimes we get stuck. You know, it's not really the cycle's fault that it, it seems like it fits so poorly. It wasn't designed for most people. It was designed after studying people who had, were in the hospital with terminal illnesses. It wasn't designed for people who had lost a loved one. It wasn't designed for disaster or the loss of a relationship or anything like that, any traumatic experience. It was designed very specifically about one group, and even they recognized that not everybody was going to follow that, that order perfectly. It was just kind of a generalization. I mean, that, that's how it is when you try to generally apply anything to human beings we're individuals. We have our own characteristics. We have our own personality. So we, we follow our own group of rules. And let's face it, life is just messy. Even those who experience the exact same event process it and go through it differently. The hope, though, is that, you know, when we start at that moment, the beginning, that high point, that before the tragedy strikes, and then we deal with the tragedy and however this whole area ends up, that we reach a new normalcy on the other side. It's going to be different. It can't be the same. We, we are changed through events in our lives. We're changed by grief. Besides, it's going to be different. But you hope to reach that point where you can still find fulfillment in your life, that you can still find a reason to keep going. It'll always be different. Our story starts today after a moment of extreme grief. It actually happens on Easter Day. Now, we had to jump into Luke for this story. I know we've been mostly doing Matthew, but Luke is a little bit different. For one, there's a larger cast of characters. I mean, yes, there's Jesus and the Twelve, now Eleven, there's Mary Magdalene, but now there's kind of this larger group of, of people that follow, you know, the kind of thing of Jesus is at the center, and then there's the, the 12, now 11, around him, and then there's this larger cloud of people surrounding that. These are followers of Christ. These, these people have been following him all over Israel, just like the 12 have. It's one of these unnamed many that we end up encountering. Actually, two of them. 
And for the first time, one of them is given a name, and it's the only time he'll ever appear. Cleopas. If you're wondering if it sounds like Cleopatra, yes, it's actually a male version of the name Cleopatra. So there's Cleopas and another person who's never given a name, walking to the town of Emmaus, according to which ancient versions you encounter, somewhere between 7 and 19 miles away from Jerusalem. For two men who have spent the last couple of years walking all over the, the nation, 7, 19 miles is nothing. But there they are. They're walking along. And they've had a really bad couple days. I mean, it was only a week ago that they were taking off their cloaks and throwing them on the road and cutting off palm branches and throwing them down too because Jesus, Jesus was entering Jerusalem. He was entering the ancestral capital where, in fact, his own ancestor ruled. David, King David, once ruled there. But then everything fell apart. Now he was dead and gone. Missing, actually. Again, we're in Luke. It's a little bit of a different story. In Luke, there's three women. They go to the tomb. They encounter two angels. And they, they go and they tell the disciples. And they come and they look. And there's the empty tomb with the linens lying in it. But no one's seen Jesus yet. So these two men are going on with their lives, and they're sad. They're talking about it, and the stranger approaches. The stranger, we all know it's Jesus, and we all know it's Jesus not only because we know how the story ends. I mean, Luke tells us it was Jesus, but they didn't recognize him, and that was purposeful on Jesus' part. So there they are. The stranger approaches and recognizes they're sad, and asks them what's going on. And so they start telling the whole story of Jesus, who he was, what he taught, what he did, who he healed, the triumph, the tragedies, the victory, and that final defeat, and how he's now gone. Jesus lets them talk. He lets them Tell the story. If you ever go to a therapist or, you know, even just sit and talk with a good friend after a tragedy, you know how good it is sometimes to just talk. Just tell what, what happened. We don't really know why, why Jesus doesn't say anything, but it may simply be that Jesus understands they need to talk. And after they finished, he starts adding them and giving them advice. He starts taking all the bits and pieces of their story and putting it together, rebuilding the context, giving them an idea of what happened and why it must might have happened. And as they reach Emmaus and the stranger wants to keep walking, they, they say, no, come, come eat with us, come sit with us. It's, they've reached a new level of normalcy, it seems like. They've reached a point where they kind of understand the story, and they're able to move on with their lives. They're no longer self-consumed with their grief. They realize the situation of another and say, come, sit with us, 
eat bread with us. Here's a safe place for you to stay tonight. So the stranger does. And as he breaks bread, they, they see him anew. They see the Jesus who fed the, the multitudes. They see the Jesus who broke the bread on their last meal together. And their eyes are open and they realize, oh, oh. And then he vanishes. He's just gone. Jesus came back and he spent so much time just listening and then talking and doing a lot of walking. He gave them the space to grieve and he helped them work through that grief. He didn't just thunderbolt, shock, here I am. He didn't surprise them or shock them into belief. He helped them work to belief first and then he revealed himself and pushed them from from that new normalcy they had entered into a celebration. That's what Easter is about, coming out of that darkness, not only reaching a new level of normalcy, but a level of celebration. They had journeyed through that disbelief, through that grief, and, and, and returned to belief, and became the first ones in Luke to see the risen Christ. God works with us. God doesn't force us. God works with us. These two men were perhaps experiencing the lowest moment of their entire lives. They felt abandoned, but they aren't. Jesus comes to them and walks and talks and works with them. They are pushed. Easter is the dawn after that darkest moment. They realize they aren't abandoned. They aren't forgotten. It's like we aren't abandoned. We aren't forgotten. That moment when we get to turn and realize Christ's presence in our lives. I mean, God comes to us in many ways. One of my my absolute favorite books in the Bible is Ruth. Because Ruth is one of my heroes. You know, God doesn't, doesn't do anything directly, really, in Ruth. I don't want to talk too much about it because I am looking forward to preaching about Ruth someday. But God works through Ruth. God goes and works through Ruth to take Naomi from the lowest moment in Naomi's life to perhaps one of the most wonderful moments by the end. We all get a chance to do that, whether we're we're breaking bread with a stranger or opening our home to them whether we're calling a friend or sending a card and reminding that person they are not forgotten, they are loved. Doing so, it it calls that divine love out. It was always there. Jesus is always walking with us. But it's like helping take those, those blinders off. Like that moment when Jesus breaks the bread and they realize who it is. These small, simple acts help reveal divine love, help reveal Jesus in our lives. I think that's the message we get out of this road to Emmaus. We may not be as fortunate as Cleopas and that unnamed person, but we know he's with us. We know know he's with us in all of our times and in all of our actions. We know that he can work through us. All we have to do is open our eyes and recognize his presence. Thank you.
as you walk on your journey of life along the highways and the byways of this world. May you remember that you're not really ever alone. That Jesus is always walking with us. We can always find those bright little things in life. Blessings on you this week.